Um, <clears throat> so those are our, let me pray for all those who uh, have promoted and graduated. We're really proud of you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for all these who have diligently committed to their studies. And um, Lord, I thank you for their faith. Uh, Lord, our world just needs Christians seasoned throughout in every profession and every place. And Lord, we thank you for godly teachers, uh, godly students in different schools. We thank you for godly leaders in the military. And so God, we, we ask that you might bless them. Lord, that you would establish them. I know every time we promote or graduate, there's a little bit of unknown in in our in our minds and a little bit scary, but Lord, your word tells us that you direct the steps of the righteous. You place them, and Lord, you know our go- going out and our coming to. And Lord, you are um, the authority of our lives. And so, we just pray your hand of blessing and grace upon each and every one of these graduates. May they honor you. May they be a light for you. And uh, Lord, may they, you just protect them from the evil one. May they have great wisdom and discernment. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> okay, so we, uh, you guys can go ahead and go. Thanks for hanging in there. All right. I'm so excited about tonight because we're in Luke chapter 5, starting out at verse 12. We're going to see if we can get through the chapter, but uh, that kind of took some time. Uh, I, I got to say, though, I'm excited about this because... This morning, or the last two Sundays I've been in First Peter, uh, they've been really complicated text and a lot of Greek and dissecting it and all those sorts of things. And it's just nice to get into the gospel, these, the, the uh, episodes in the gospel that we're going to read tonight, these accounts. Uh, they're beautiful accounts and it's exciting to see. And one of the things about the gospel is the gospel is an introduction of the Lord Jesus Christ to us. And, and that's what we need to remember when we're reading it. Uh, the Lord Jesus is introducing himself to a, a, a fallen world, a world that's in great need of redemption. And with that, we see that post the gospel, we see people growing in Christ, walking with Christ. And, and then, of course, for us, we benefit upon all that foundation. And once we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior... We have a lifetime to know him, to walk with him, to grow with him. And so that's, a, that's just a wonderful blessing for us, the Christian. With that said, I'm going to pray one more time and we're going to get into Luke chapter 5, verse 12. Lord, we thank you for just this wonderful testimony that Dr. Luke has left for us. Lord, writing under the influence of your spirit, each and every story and each part of it, Lord, directed by your spirit. And so now as we enter into this text, we pray that you might teach us and encourage us. Lord, you know what you need to speak to this congregation, to each individual. So we pray, Lord, that you might encourage them, that that they might be motivated toward faith and good works in your name. Lord, that if they're, they're dealing with a downcast soul, you might meet them and lift them up. Lord, if they feel ostracized, you might bring them near. Lord, if they feel in need of help and, and to be of healing, Lord, that you might heal. So bless this time now in your word, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we start out in Luke chapter 5, verse 12, and we read, While he was in one of the cities, there came a, a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, 
Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him, and Jesus charged him, to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. I'm going to stop there and just talk about this leper that came forward. Now, the, these uh, accounts also are testified to in the other Gospels. And the other Gospels can, can also fill in little details for us along the way. For instance, in this detail, it talks about how the, the, the fame of Jesus was spreading and he couldn't go uh, it, it, into the cities and those areas. And we know that that's because the leper actually didn't keep his mouth shut. He went and told everybody from one of the former gospels. But first, let me just talk for a minute about this leprosy. Now, the word leprosy in the Bible can actually be used for a number of different skin conditions. It's not necessarily what you and I today would think of as Hansen's disease. And in Hansen's disease, you can slow it down, you can arrest it, but still, as far as I know, there's no actual cure for leprosy or Hansen's disease today other than uh, the Lord Jesus Christ healing. Uh, but, but nonetheless, there, there could have been a number of skin diseases. But here's what you need to understand about leprosy in the time of Jesus. Leprosy was, was one of those diseases that completely separated you and ostracized you from other people. You were unclean. You couldn't come near others. You couldn't be touched by others. Now, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I need a hug. Maybe you're one of those people that needs a hug at times or enjoys a hug. And I know, Melinda, you're saying, no way, I don't need a hug ever. But I guarantee if, if her daughter, Charlotte, comes up there and says, Mom, I want a hug, she's going to love that hug. So, boom, that, take that, Melinda. Uh, <laughs> but, but the idea is that you couldn't be around people. Um, you, you couldn't even worship in the synagogues. You, you couldn't be in community with any other. You were completely ostracized. And that's an important thing to, to, to consider because you're talking about people that were ran away from, not, not showing compassion to. Uh, today in our society, if I would say that there's anybody that would maybe qualify in the same way as a leper... And, and please understand, I'm not talking about as far as a uh, character issue. I'm just talking about the ostracization in society. I would say that this would go to those who uh, have committed pedophilia or some sort of, of uh, crime in uh, sex act. Uh, they might be on the Megan's Law website. But that would be a good example of someone who's been totally ostracized from society. No one wants you around. Uh, and for fear, good reason for fear that you're going to do something to the kids. But you can get the idea and imagine what it might be to be a leper in Jesus' day. Now, the difference between a leper and a pedophile is that a leper is this is just something that happened to them. It's a sickness versus uh, a pedophile is someone who's gone after that sin. Nonetheless, though, for the lepers in Jesus' day... They, were untu- they, they could not be around people. 
So this leper has heard about Jesus. We know that Jesus has began healing around the Sea of Galilee and near Capernaum and those surrounding cities of the sea. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you will make me clean. There's my prayer request. It's a simple prayer request. And and I want to call your attention to the simplicity of this request because it doesn't take much to talk to God. You don't need fine words. You don't need uh, perfect English. You don't need perfect Spanish. You, you don't need to even speak in tongues. You just need to cry out to God. And that's what this man does. He, he comes up and says, Lord, if you will, and well, how beautiful that is. And I, I love this too because it kind of goes to the. Man and for proof to them. Now, I want to say this about Jesus, and this is an important aspect as we're being introduced to the Lord Jesus. Last week, we saw the Lord calls. Uh, we, we saw previously that the Lord was sinless, but now we see that the Lord makes clean. And that's, that's a very important truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus has the ability, the power, the authority to make clean those who are unclean, to bring near to God those who are far. And so Jesus can make clean without becoming unclean himself. Now the law of Moses in Leviticus chapter 14, God gives a prescription for those who are leprous. And this is what it says in Leviticus chapter 14, verses 1 through 2. We're going to just read a couple select verses from this passage. But you can go to it later. But it says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest. And then we're going to skip down to uh, verse 4. It says, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds and an earthenware vessel 
over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on, uh, times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into an open field. Now you can get the picture here. And I, we don't really know what uh, the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the yarn the scriptures never really tell us uh, that, that. We know it has to do with cleansing, but not, not totally sure why. Because uh, the scriptures just don't give us that information. But we get the imagery here. As one bird is, is killed, the other bird is dipped in the blood. The blood is sprinkled seven times on the leper who's been made clean. And then that other bird is released. And you can almost imagine as this bird is flying away and flapping its wings, and the blood is also somewhat splattering as it goes off. Um, For the one who's being made clean, that must have been one of the most joyous moments. My uncleanliness being carried off by that bird. It's just a a beautiful picture of what happened in the law. And so when Jesus told the leper to go show yourself to the priest... I want to reiterate that Jesus never broke the law. He fulfilled the law. And with that, he told the leper to go do that. Go fulfill the law. You're going to go show yourself to the priest. Give the offering. And this is what that leper would have gone through. And, and he, would have, uh, he would have given the proof. And then, of course, from the other Gospels, we read that rather than being obedient to Christ, he went and told everybody. Uh, and as a result of that, Christ could not go into the towns anymore. And it was really unfortunate because this leper had been, had been cleansed. He had been brought near. He was on the outskirts, right? He, he, was, he was the one who couldn't come near to the towns. He couldn't come near to the people. But because of his disobedience, who was now outside? Jesus. And, and we, we definitely see this picture of Jesus trading places with this leper uh, that, that Mark's gospel tells us about. But there's an idea that disobedience always separates us. Uh, and Jesus came to bring us near. And so we read that uh, the, the crowds gathered to hear him, and he healed of them of their infirmities. So he continued teaching. Now notice verse 16, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Uh, and this is a challenge for you. How's your prayer life? Uh, I think um, the common excuse for lack of prayer and lack of waiting on God and, and studying God's word is busyness. That's the common excuse usually. It's I, I've just been busy. Just been caught up, you know, get up in the morning, have every intention. But, but man, I got whole list of emails or phone texts or whatever the case is. I don't know if uh, your phone is like mine. I, I don't even use my phone really very much for fun messaging. Uh, and th- those who I know that are, I'm not talking about church stuff, uh, you know because you get messages from me. It's very few. <laughs> um, 
but, but my phone is always like full of messages. And, and, uh, and, and I've got to look through all the different mediums and messages between the mission field, uh, which usually first thing in the morning, the mission field has lit up messages. And I've got to go through those because they've been messaging throughout the night. And then uh, we have the church messages and, and prayer and all those sort of different things. And so as we get busy, we might make an excuse saying, I don't have time to pray or I put it off, I put it off, I put it off. But what we see is the model of Jesus. The busier Jesus gets, the more he prays. The, and, and this is the model for you and for me. And I'll tell you this, if, if Jesus felt that prayer was a priority in life, if Jesus felt that way, how much more should we? That prayer is a priority. So I want to encourage you. That I don't want you to go out of here feeling guilty. I want you to go out of here thinking about how you're going to set up some time to pray. And you might say, well, what do I pray for, Pastor? Well, I mean, there's lots of things to pray for. You can pray for your people here in the church. You, you can pray for uh, God to give you understanding in his word. Read one verse and pray about it. Commit that to the Lord. Read a passage and pray about it. You can pray for your family members. You can just praise God. You can pray for your work, for the people you come into contact with. You can pray for your state. You can pray for your police department, your fire department. You see how the list starts building and building and building and building? There's a lot to pray for. And if you still don't have enough things to pray for, start meeting people in church and saying, how can I pray for you? Start meeting people in different places. How can I pray for you? I'll tell you right now, when I say how can I pray for you to somebody, even an unbeliever, there's only been like once or twice where an unbeliever has told me, I don't want prayer. Uh, Usually they say, actually, I need prayer. And they recognize that. So you can pray for them. And so, so Jesus um, makes this, this leper unclean. He goes out to places to pray. Let's go on to verse 17. <clears throat> on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. Now, Pharisees are, uh, were a group of devout Jews. And, and they, they actually kind of were looked at as heroes, the Pharisees. They were um, the ones who rejected the Hellenization. Excuse me one minute. I'm sorry. Like I said, I woke up with a cold this morning. Um, the, when the Greeks, when Alexander the Great took over and the Greeks came through, the whole goal of the Greeks was to Hellenize. Okay, that's, that's the word Hellenization. And so they wanted to bring Greek culture, Greek language, everything Greek to the different groups. And... Um, the Pharisees were those who, after the Maccabean revolt, really stood up against specifically the gymnasium. Uh, that was a Greek uh, cultural act, and the Greeks would go and they'd work out naked and they'd all be together naked. And the Jews saw this as actually a detestable practice, so they rejected that. And they were ones who wore phylactery boxes on their foreheads and on their arms, the scripture on their arms, and they were very noticeable from other people. They were devout. They kept the law. And uh, many Pharisees were also scribes or the lawyers um, because they knew the law of Moses. And so these were very devout people. And, and, and they were really looked at as probably the most 
religious and devout of the Jews. And then, of course, we have the word teachers of the law. These are probably scribes and, and um, possibly some other rabbis. But uh, we read that they were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. Now, where is Jesus at this point? Mark tells us that he was at home in Capernaum. So this is probably at the home of Peter. Remember he healed Peter's mother-in-law. I showed you Peter's home a little bit ago, uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, So he's probably at that house in Capernaum. And it says, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. I'm going to stop there for a moment. So these four men come carrying this paralytic. And as they bring him to the home, they can't get in. Too many people. So they are not going to stop there. And that's one of the things I, I think is really noble about these men. And we're going to find out they're men of faith because Jesus recognizes their faith. They, they are men who are determined because they're, they're going to get this person to Jesus, this paralytic. And we can imagine what it might be to, to be a paralytic in, in, in the first century. There's no wheelchairs. Everything's dirt. You're laying on a mat on the dirt all the time. You're, 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 you're not going to just get around without somebody helping you. You're either going to crawl or people are going to come carry you. And, and so these men bring this paralytic to the home. And when they can't get in, they open up the roof. Now, the roofs were uh, kind of some sticks, beams laid across with mud, palm branches, mud, and all that sort of stuff. So it's not like a roof like you and I today where it would actually take some work to get through a roof. You know, the firefighters, whenever there's a fire, one of the first things they do is vent a roof, and they take their chainsaw, cut through it, and there's your roof, it's gone. Uh, but, but for them... These ones are removing these, uh, the palms and, and the, the dirt off the roof. So I'm sure as they're getting closer to getting through, opening up this skylight, uh, it's probably disturbing even Jesus' teaching. But hey, if you're going to get your friend to Jesus, you might as well drop him down right in front of Jesus. And, and that's what they do. And uh, you can imagine, too, even just like what it was like lowering him down. I don't know if it, maybe it was uh, Chuck Smith who said, I can't remember who, who said it, but, um, but these men definitely had faith because they didn't want to pull them back up, <laughs> you know. But um, it said, uh, he said, and when he saw their faith, uh, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, I assume they're coming to have this man walk. Not to have his sins forgiven. But, but I, I do want to say that the text does say when he saw their faith, maybe it's possible he was coming specifically to have his sins forgiven. I don't know. It, it just seems from the setting that, that this man, they were like, hey, Jesus is healing people. If we get our friend to Jesus, Jesus can heal him. Maybe they were even operating under the idea that, that hey, if we bring you to Jesus and your sins are forgiven, God can heal you and you can walk because it's possible that you were born or you or your parents sinned in some way. That was a popular idea. I don't know what they were really thinking. 
that Luke uh, and Mark, they, they just don't give us enough information. But Jesus speaks and says, your sins are forgiven you. And this is a difficult thing. One, nobody sees it. Two, um, the Pharisees and scribes react. Look at verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, that question is true. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They're right. Who has the right to forgive sins? Only God. The accusation that Jesus is speaking blasphemies is totally false. Verse 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Now at this point, I think the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, if they would have been taking stock of the whole event, we learn here that they're not saying this out loud. They're actually saying it in their hearts. And Jesus discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart speaks to their hearts. Why do you say this in your hearts? Now at that point in time, if you were listening, you go, wait a minute. He's actually reading my thoughts. You know, that's definitely something that they would have taken account to if they would have been paying attention, but they were so focused on Jesus doing something blasphemous, they were so offended by what he did, they, they miss out on that. And so Jesus says, which is easier to say? Son, your sins are forgiven? Forgi- uh, uh, <clears throat> your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise and walk? And that's a good question. Which is easier to say? Well, it's easier to say forgive it. you're forgiven. Nobody can prove it. Like... <laughs> If I say rise and walk, we're going to find out if I, 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 I really am uh, healing under the power of God because someone's got to get up. Now, faith healers take this and they twist it, right? They, you're forget, you, you, rise and walk. Oh, you're not walking. You don't have enough faith. <laughs> you know, they, they abuse that so much. Uh, <laughs> listen, I'll tell you this. I love the beginning of this text because it says that Jesus had the power of God. The Lord was with him. To the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And so I, I would almost say for those faith healers that they don't have enough faith to heal the person. Uh, it's not the other way around. But nonetheless, uh, so Jesus asked this question, which is easier to say? And, and, uh, and so then he just answers it. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up his, uh, what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. That's an understatement. You know, as Jesus interacted with them, and, and we can almost see that Jesus is using this occasion and this paralytic to teach everyone around a truth about himself and about God. And, and actually, I would even say that Jesus was, although he did a lot of healings, and John, the Gospel of John says that the, the, the works that Jesus did couldn't even be contained, that what he taught and what he did couldn't even be contained in all the volumes of books in the world at the time. That's what uh, John said. Uh, But I would say that Jesus is probably even more of a teacher 
than a healer. Sometimes people put the emphasis on his healing ministry because it's powerful. It's incredible to see Jesus speaking and things and people being healed, Jesus touching and people being healed. People just reaching out and touching Jesus and being healed or the hem of his garment, right? It's incredible. It's powerful. It's literally the power of God. But Jesus was teaching something important. And sometimes there are those who put all the emphasis on these outward actions and power, these, this moving of God. They put everything on, on charismatic gifting or, or uh, speaking in tongues or all these things. But ultimately, they fail to have any type of foundation and discipleship in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus uses this healing so that everybody around would understand that if you want to be forgiven of sins, he has the power. And there's no one else. Because already his opponents have testified that only God has the power to forgive sins. They've already made that testify that testimony. And so everybody there who understands this idea is watching and Jesus says, stand up and walk. He stands up and walk. And now everyone knows that he has the power to forgive sins. He has the power to say, stand up and walk. And that man walked. And by the way, Capernaum is not that big of a place. It, it, it was actually, first century Capernaum was a fairly small little village. And, and everybody would have known this paralytic. He wouldn't have been some secret guy that they wouldn't have known. And, and they would have continued to know him. I mean, you can just imagine his life going on from there. Uh, uh, hey, Bill, like how you're walking, you know? Look at Bill dance, man. Isn't that amazing? Let me tell you about Bill. We saw Jesus heal him, you know? I mean, it's just amazing, the testimony about it. You know what Jesus did before he healed Bill? He said, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine that? And the, the conversation that went around about that. They all were amazed. They glorified God. And that's really what the work of Jesus always did. It brought glory to God. And so they were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Jesus had the authority to bring people close. He had the authority to forgive sin. He had the, had the authority to command the lame to walk. Now let's go to verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Now, I'm going to say something about Levi. Uh, now, listen, I, I haven't actually watched much of The Chosen. I've only watched a couple episodes of The Chosen. And, and by the way, I, what I've seen was like, oh, that's really cool the way they did that. In fact, I think there was one episode where I was like almost ready to cry. And my wife's looking at me. She's like, are you going to cry? I'm like, no. You know. <laughs> But it was just really powerful and beautiful. But uh, So I don't really know much about The Chosen. I know Levi is, uh, the, the way they portray Levi in The Chosen, and I have no problem with it. You know, they can take whatever license they want. But here's what I want you to know about Levi. Levi is a tax collector, and the tax collectors were another ostracized group from the Jews. They were looked at as traitors. They were sellouts. They were taxing the people. So you might complain about the IRS, but at least the IRS has limits of what they can and can't do. Uh, they, they, there's, there's, uh, you know, of course, legal recourse if the IRS, uh, oversteps their boundaries. And of course, none of us like paying taxes. No one does. But, but the, the tax collectors of Jesus' day were, would basically, they would, 
hear from the Roman government how much they were supposed to collect. Basically, the Roman government would say, listen, this portion where you're collecting taxes, and they collected taxes on everything. They collected taxes on the fish that they would catch. They collected taxes on the oil that they would use for cooking, flour, everything. Their whole life, they had a life tax pretty much. Just for, for breathing air, you're getting taxed, you know. It was that sort of idea. And the Romans would say, okay, this is what we expect you to collect. It's expensive, feeding an army, building an empire, all those sorts of things. But the tax collectors would often take much more than they needed. Because whatever extra they collected, they got to hold back and keep. So as the Jews saw these traders working for the Roman empires and they themselves building up their own bank accounts and getting rich and Wow, look at all this stuff they're doing. Man, the Jews couldn't stand them. In fact, they wouldn't even allow the tax collectors to come into the synagogues. They looked at the tax collectors up there with murderers and thieves. That's the idea. But here Jesus is saying the simple words, follow me. Levi, you're going to come learn from me. You're my disciple now. You're going to follow me. Levi gets up, leaving everything, just like what we saw last week with Peter and James and John and Andrew, how they left everything, that catch, and followed Jesus. Levi rises up and follows Jesus. And I'm sure as Peter and James and John are following Jesus, and and I'm going to assume that they are with Jesus, they're with their rabbi as they're following him. Uh, You know, there's got to be this thought is like, oh, he's calling him too? Oh, wait a minute. That guy, did, maybe Jesus doesn't know everything about Levi. I don't know. But, but this is what we see in verse 29. Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, Levi begins following Jesus, and, and one of the things I know about when we follow Jesus is the first people we're excited to tell about Jesus are the people we run with. I, I know that was true for me when I came to Christ. All my friends, Dave's become a Jesus freak. He's always talking about Jesus. He's always sharing about Jesus, and maybe that was true for you too. But you're excited to tell everybody about Jesus. You want them to get saved too. And, and Levi wouldn't have been running, the people he's running with are other tax collectors. Those are his friends. So he throws a big dinner. And, and he invites everybody over for dinner to meet who? Jesus. And there's the Pharisees and the scribes grumbling. Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, th- there's a little bit more to this question. So the Jews believe that if you were to dip into a bowl, if you were to eat with somebody... Their cooties are becoming part of you, okay? So the, the, the part of them was becoming part of you. So you wouldn't eat with Gentiles. You wouldn't eat with tax collectors. You wouldn't eat with thieves or murderers because their, their sinfulness is coming on you as you dip into that bowl and you're eating and sharing that meal with them. By the way, we're going to go to communion a little bit. And that, that picture of communion where Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. And this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which has been shed for you for the remission of sin. That idea of his body and his blood, those elements representing that is actually to, um, I want them to be made a part of me. That's that's the picture there. It's communion, fellowship with Jesus. And 
and we'll get to that in just a minute, but but as uh, they're eating with these, the, the disciples are eating with them, the Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling. And notice who they're grumbling at. I mean, they're questioning Jesus, but they're specifically targeting his disciples. I love that. And you're going to see this all throughout the gospel. They target the disciples, not Jesus. You know, hey, if you're the real deal, you would be teaching them. And I love every time they target the disciples or they target somebody around Jesus. They'll target somebody who's been healed. They'll target somebody who Jesus has interacted with or met with or, or, or uh, just uh, shown compassion to. And Jesus always responds to them. He doesn't play their game. They question Jesus. They question his disciples. And Jesus always responds to them. And you know what the sad part about this is they never ask Jesus. I mean, the, the few that did ask Jesus, like Nicodemus, who met with Jesus at night, Nicodemus got born again. He found life. Those who actually asked Jesus. The rest just accused. I think sometimes we experience that too with friends and family. They want to accuse you of your deeds. Sometimes maybe you're not perfect. Can you imagine people not being perfect? They love to accuse, you're supposed to be a Christian. Well, well you're supposed to be, what are you supposed to be? I don't even know. What you're so you just can act however you want, but I can't be a fallen person, you know? They, they, they love to accuse you to try to bring shame on Christ. That's what the Pharisees and the tax collectors did. And uh, I want to encourage you with that. You challenge them to question Jesus. I love that story of Lee Strobel as his wife uh, became a Christian. Lee Strobel was so offended that his wife would become a Christian. Lee Strobel was a court reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and, and he was just so offended by it. By the way, there's a, actually a movie now called The Case for Christ, which you can watch based on the book, the, what he did for the book for The Case for Christ. But Lee, Lee Strobel was just offended. He was telling his wife, and, and he was kind of accusing his wife. Why would you do this? Why you? Why, why, why? And she says, you know what? Leave me alone. You go investigate it for yourself. So he did. And as Lee Strobel investigated the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what did Lee Strobel find out? Lee Strobel found out that he needed to repent of his sin and be born again and know the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So I want to encourage you, if they're attacking you and trying to hinder your faith, you point them to Jesus. I don't know, go talk to him. (laughs) Try it. It actually works pretty well. We're going to close there tonight. We're not going to finish the rest of the chapter um, because we want to make some time for the Lord's table. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you that you make us clean. That, Lord, you have washed us. You have cleansed us of all of our iniquity. Lord, we thank you that you draw us close. And, Lord, that you said it is finished on that cross. And it is finished. Lord, you bore my sin, my burden. You traded places with me that I might be forgiven. And I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you that you came to draw us near to God, to reconcile us to our creator, that we might know you and walk with you, that we might have fellowship with you. And so now, Lord, we come to your table. 
And we just ask for you, Lord, to meet us here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. With that said, may the Lord bless you. May he comfort your hearts. May you meet with him on your knees. May you walk with him. And may he give you strength this week to fulfill his will. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.